I am worthy, right? And I'm just still trying to prove to myself that I'm worthy of so many things. And whether that be love, whether I'm trying to prove to myself that I'm worthy of love and appreciation, I'm also trying to prove to myself that I am worthy of success. And I'm worthy of sharing my truth with the world and that it does hold validity and it does hold value to others. Hey friends, this episode is slightly different than the previous uh, couple, and that's because there is no guest today. It is just going to be me talking, and the reason for that is that I'm, I'm pretty deep right now into outreach and setting up and scheduling dates for uh, really exciting guests to come on and have conversations with me. And it being the holidays, I wanted to have a certain special episode about the holiday season and the excitement around that, but also, you know, the emotions and stress levels that everybody is experiencing. But I would really love to talk about my experience with the holidays and shed some light on to what people who are in the LGBTQIA plus community are experiencing at a, at a different level than their, than their peers and the other and the rest of the community. Um, but when I, what I want to preface with that is that this is my own experience, right? So I'm not speaking for people and I'm not speaking over other queer people. I'm just sharing my experience in this episode. Um, so I really hope you enjoy. There's no real intro to this episode. I'm just going to get into it. I'm sitting in my apartment in Portland, Maine with um, a lovely latte. I am not a latte guy, but I'll tell you what, the proper cup on Forest Ave has me sold. Like, I did not think I would ever be somebody willing to pay more than 3 or $4 for a cup of coffee, but here I am having an oat milk gingerbread latte, um, and I'm feeling myself with it. I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, and it's the holiday season. So with that gingerbread in mind, uh, let's get into this. Um, there's no, and I want to also say there's no script with this. I literally have a sheet of paper and a few bullet points. This is me speaking authentically and in the moment with a little bit of thought ahead of time, obviously, but I, I don't want it to come across as commercial or inauthentic by any means. So when I think about the holiday season, um, it's a really interesting time, right? It, and both in terms of our emotions and stress levels, we experience you know, excitement and we experience happiness, but also we have this pressure and stress um, that add challenges that are unique this time of year that we don't experience year round, except for about a month here in, in the winter. And that goes for each and every person and group of people for that matter. I'm not just, when I say that, I'm not just talking about queer folks. That's our general public. Um, but today I am obviously going to be coming at it through the lens of a queer person because I don't have the perspective of a heterosexual or, or cis person for that matter. So I'm going to kind of walk us through my experiences with the holiday season from as early as I can remember. We're going to talk about baby Kai a little bit um, and how that led into my journey and understanding my gender and experiences. Um, and I'm really excited to share it with you. So my family, uh, I want to say that we did not necessarily grow up as religious. We um, were members of a church in, in York, Maine, and, and we attended and we went to the services on Christmas Eve and on Christmas and major holidays like Easter. 
but I wouldn't say that we were bound to a religion by any means. Um, it was quite flexible. We had traditions, but again, they were there's flexibility and fluidity around them. Um, but yeah, so I don't necessarily remember when I think about the holidays. I don't necessarily think about church in that community, but I think about um, just how excited I always was. Um, it was this blissful, joyful, um, carefree innocence that. I long and crave for still to this day. And as a young child, when I say young child, I mean like from one through elementary school, things shifted hard for me in fifth grade. But um, in those elementary years, like I had no care in the world. I was quite um, carefree and to paint an image in your head, um, I usually was topless and I had untamed wild blonde curls and first of all dressing me was a challenge for either one of my parents so it usually was like just just let this little human do what they need right now because I wasn't bothering anyone I usually was doing my own thing um, whether it was in the yard playing um, if we're talking about the winter specifically, I okay, I wasn't topless outside in the winter. My parents definitely bundled me up. Um, but I was like making my own snow forts. Um, I had a wild Im- imagination. I still feel like I have that. I'm definitely a daydreamer, which for those out there who are also daydreamers, it's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes I wish that I could calm, my, calm that uh, side of my brain a little bit. Um, but yeah, and when it came to Christmas, like, game over. I loved every second of it. And I had a family who supported all of that innocence. And I, looking back at those childhood experiences, I will treasure them forever. And there's things that I, when I am my father, a father myself, that I will carry over. A really great example of that was... Um, I've always enjoyed baking, and that is uh, in thanks to my grandmother. Neither one of my parents were really big into cooking or baking, but my grandmother always was. And um, once I learned how to make gingerbread cookies, and (laughs) my father, every time we baked gingerbread cookies, would take a cookie out of the oven and hide it. So I believed that this gingerbread man who was in the oven came to life. And I had to find him. And in order to do that, my dad would leave clues around, et cetera. And it would freak me out. Like I would have anxiety about baking them, but needed to. And then I'd find the gingerbread man and we'd have a conversation about it. Um, But that is when I say magic, like my father made Christmas magic. And I'm so forever thankful for him with that. Um, But as the years went on and... I think a real pivotal moment was when my body started changing and shifting. Um, So for those listeners, I was born and assigned a female at birth. And my dead name was Chelsea. And as I got older and my body shifted and changed, I started losing the magic. And... Specifically, I think that had a lot to do with around the idea of of toys and presents. Um, 
I always asked for stereotypical boy toys. I loved Nerf guns. I loved action figures. I loved video games. I loved bikes. I had I played paintball. Um, I played sports. I never once asked for a Barbie. No, okay, that's a lie. I asked for a Barbie one time, and it was this. You could actually make it your own. So um, I made it into like this basketball player that I think it was based on the Spice Girls movie, Sporty Spice. Um, I definitely had a crush on Sporty Spice, but okay, I digress. Um, in that concept of toys, and me feeling like I needed to like the toys that my peers were getting, um, and I always had more female friends than than male friends, and that largely had to do with sports teams and community being fostered that way, but once middle school hit and, you know, everyone's asking, like, what did you get? What did you get? I felt almost embarrassed to tell my friends, you know, oh, no, you know, I didn't ask for that um, new American Girl doll. No, I actually asked for um, a carpet rug that is, like, I don't know how to explain it. You know those carpet rug, toy play rugs that you could have that was, like, a highway and you could write, like, put your matchbox cars on it yeah that's what I asked for um or I'd ask for a remote control car right or any other stereotypical boy toy I'm not going to get into it but that was a really big profound inner um moment of acknowledgement and of course I didn't have the language then Right? I just knew that what I liked was different than what the people I loved liked. And that in and of itself made me feel shameful. And I never necessarily outwardly said that. Actually, I know for a fact I never outwardly said that. Um, but that was a pivotal moment where the magic started. I started kind of like pushing it down a little bit um, out of fear of embarrassing myself and my family. Um, another thing I remember is a lot of my favorite uh, Christmas movies. I always, and this goes for any movie actually, I always pictured myself as the male character and that never went away. Um, and one of my favorite Christmas movies was titled I'll Be Home for Christmas, and I actually watched it so many times that I think I burned through at least one, maybe two um, VHS, and then um, actually the DVDs of it, because I'd watch it literally every day, and I would dress up like the main uh, male character, and even as I got older, like that did not change. So I tried really, really hard to show in external ways that, no, this is just, you know, this is just a phase. Please don't just make it go away, right? Um, but it didn't. And I just wanted to bring that up because an added stressor that I would feel would be asking for toys, right? Like specifically to relatives. My parents, I didn't necessarily care because they knew me. And they were like, this is, at the time, they were like, this is just what my daughter likes, right? Just a tomboy. 
And while that was true, I guess, in that moment, because I hadn't come out, I did not even know what trans was. Um, it wasn't the reality. So I would be embarrassed to ask for things that I wanted to my grandparents or aunts or uncles. So I usually would just ask for gift cards. So then I had the freedom to do what I wanted. Um, but I remember opening presents and it would be the same as my male cousins. And I was fine with it, but I, at the same time, could look around and see not many other female identifying people having that same experience. Um, and my sister definitely wasn't girly. Like, I think we we both were, um, the way our interests were not gendered at all. And I'm still trying to, and when I say that, I'm still currently believe that, you know, there's way more than two genders. But what I'm just saying is that our society likes to put things in boxes. And I don't think neither my sister nor myself, like, ever fit one box fully. In terms of interest, I'm not saying gender we identify as. Um, so yeah, toys in itself were a reason why I started losing initially some of the Christmas magic. Um, and then let's, let's uh, lean into dress and, and style a little bit here as I'm talking about Christmas magic because I don't know if, people, if parents do this anymore, but we used to have, you know, like a video camera, one that you would have to look through an eyepiece and um, that thing would always come out on holidays. And it's a family joke, but we have to be really con like cautious with whom we share these with. And I don't even know, I think they're burned to DVDs now, but in any video of the holidays, we turn on, it's just like, oh, there's Kai without clothes on, right? Like I just did not like clothes. Um, and upon reflection, it really had nothing to do with like a tactile sensory issue, which a lot of us thought, uh, a lot of my family thought it had to do with. Um, <laughs> but no, it's not that my fabric was itchy. It was just that I didn't like, I didn't resonate with any of the fabric that was being placed on my body. Like if I had a choice, I would just wear a dinosaur t-shirt all day, every day. And the pants that I'd wear would zip off into shorts because when I played, I played hard and I needed my legs to breathe, right? Skies out, thighs out is how young Kai always just wanted to live. And um, that's okay when before you hit puberty, right? But there's a quite a, uh, a point of understanding where that is not appropriate. Like you can't just go out into places in people's homes and like, oh, you're not comfortable in this outfit, just like take it off and be free. Like, unless I want to go to a nudist colony, that's not in in the cards. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I was okay with that. But what I'm saying is that during the holidays, it usually means that folks are gathering um, whom we might not have seen for a while or aren't really a part of your everyday life, but like the holidays and celebration is bringing you together. Um, and I tend to go down a rabbit hole in this thought about inauthenticity with holidays. And I was just having this conversation um, with my girlfriend this morning just about it. And just, you know, I always have too big of thoughts in the morning. And how I'm actually okay at times with a feeling of inauthenticity of happiness around the holidays. And I say that, I don't, I'm, I say that loosely because I think there is danger of trying to put on a mask on. 
for societal pressures, but I'm also, it makes me hopeful that if people tap into this emotion of happiness and joyful and bliss enough, it might become habitual and they might start feeling safer. You know, I think that a lot of people in our society are hurting a lot more than they give themselves credit to. And so whether that be for a day or just a moment of the day, if they can tap into that joy, whether it's like fully authentic or not, um, it makes me hopeful that they can carry that on into their lives afterwards. But we see these people who we might not have seen in a while. And it's like, you know, as an adolescent, you grow so rapidly that it's like, oh my gosh, I don't even recognize you. Or have you grown since I've last seen you? Obviously being sarcastic, right? But what we don't necessarily talk about is how people's um, gender expression gets shown throughout their upbringing and their adolescence and every year that they see these relatives. So a lot of growth takes place in 12 months. Um, A lot of inner reflection, a lot of even just experimentation. And it can be really frightening to go into a space of blood relatives specifically, because in from this is my experience. And I finally, after 26 years, have like, let this go, but I have felt so tied to family because of DNA reasons and because their blood that I felt like I had an obligation to them to be who they wanted me to be. Um, But for all you listening, like that's not the case. You're the only person who you show, you really um, have any obligation to. And even that, like every day is a new opportunity for you to get to learn more about yourself and fall in love with new ideas. Like just because you're into something now doesn't mean you're tied to it forever. Or just because you don't know of something yet doesn't mean you'll not discover it. So what I'm saying here is that dress and style can be really, really hard for people in the LGBTQIA community when it comes to holiday gatherings because their family might have these stereotypical ideas and dreams for them themselves. And when you can't show that on a surface level through dress, it's frightening. And I think it's most frightening, not even because you don't think that they'll like you or appreciate you, but you just know comments probably are coming your way. And for me, I was really the first, um, actually, I need to think about this. Was I, am I the only queer person? I am the only queer person in my family. This was just a realization I've had. (laughs) Um, And thank you for being here with me during this profound moment. Um, I'm the only queer person in my family. So that is a lot for um, a family to digest. And specifically when you're in a family where some parts of your family might have different beliefs and values, and maybe they are... um, living in a different part of the state or country where it is not as normalized to express your gender in a way that's different than the sex assigned at birth, it is so scary. And while it looks easy and when you see like celebrities and influencers just dressing however they want, it it looks easy. But again, there is so much inner thought and emotions and just feels that go into even putting on clothes that feel good and a lot of time and experimentation on what makes it feel good and to add that when you're an adolescent you don't necessarily have your own bank account so you need to ask your parents or guardians or whomever to go and support you in buying these fabrics 
so just enough of that, like there's so much stress that um, queer people have and what to put on their bodies for the holidays, but I'm, I'm going on a tangent and I don't want to lose direction with this concept of dress. Um, so when people enter holiday spaces with people they haven't seen in a long time, and maybe this is the first time that they are going to try to wear something that makes them feel good. Most of the time, the people who have expectations of them are so taken aback that they say things that they, you know, they probably wish they would have said differently. And I'm giving people a really big benefit of the doubt. Um, I think at this day and age, there is enough awareness and educational platforms for people if you really do care about being a loving and accepting, not just ally, but family member, you can be prepared for these situations, right? Um, it is not your role or your responsibility to place a expectation and dream on someone in your family and have them live that out. That's actually toxic and, um, so far from loving. So if you yourself are an ally or um, in your straight or your cis and or a straight cis person, and first of all, if you're on this podcast, thank you. That shows that you are willing to do some really hard um, and difficult unlearning and learning new things because it's not something that you've experienced yourself. But let's work on not genderizing clothing, okay? And specifically at the holiday season, because there's everybody's already stressed. Everybody's already stressed, and everybody just wants to feel happiness in that magic. And when somebody is put into clothing that feels less than good, they themselves are going to feel much less than anything positive. So... Going back to where I, another moment where I was like, oh, wow, the holidays are really hard was we would see my relatives on both my mother and father's side, you know, we'd see them a couple times a year, but Christmas was always the biggest one. It was when the most amount of relatives came and I, it was, it always, for me, it always caused anxiety and I never understood why for me, I was like, oh, I get motion sick. So I probably just don't want to go on the trip a couple hours up North or, um, I don't necessarily connect with my relatives, so we're just different. But I didn't fully give credit to because I did not have the language or experiences or a person I could look up to and reach out to. Um, but the reason was because of my own queerness and gender struggles and sexuality that made me feel so different. I always felt so different and I still do feel so different in certain spaces and there's ways to make environments more inclusive and I think that that is where a lot of the work for straight people is is how do we make safe inclusive spaces for people even though we ourselves are not queer I don't necessarily have the answers for 
heterosexual people on this matter, except for just love and respect the person without making it about yourself. Because at the end of the day, nobody is choosing a sexual a sexual orientation or or identifies with a gender to purposefully harm other people. And when that realization is known, it gives a lot of freedom both to the uh, straight relative and the, the queer person themselves. Like, I hate to break it to people, but we don't, we don't choose our sexual orientation and we don't choose our gender because who in their right mind would want to choose to love in a way that goes against society that you have to jump through loopholes, that it wasn't even legal to marry the same gender. Who in their right mind would choose to be born a gender that is not their own? So they have to go through insurance companies and they have to go to therapists just to get the okay to take hormone treatment. That is such a privilege because it's expensive. And give yourself one a shot every week for the rest of your life in order to identify as your gender. Nobody would choose that. Okay, so I just ask for empathy when it comes specifically to youth and adolescents who are either experimenting, they're confused, and just be so thankful and proud of them for recognizing their inner truth and feeling safe enough to show it to you. And I'm going to lean in on that idea a lot. Like when people come out or even just talk about it to you, I think the first thing that anybody should do is just is just thank them. Like, thank you for being you and trusting me enough to show up as you. We love you no matter what. And there was a moment, um, and I am gonna I'm gonna put this out there. There was a moment when I was man, how old was I? Sixteen. I graduated high school at seventeen, so I was sixteen. My sister had gone to college. She completed her first semester, and we were up at my grandparents' house. It was a big gathering. My sister has always been an ally, a strong ally, and she had a lot of friends in college who identify as uh, gay men. And one, and and you know, one she was really close with, maybe two. And there was a lot of pictures of them on Facebook um, at the time. Instagram wasn't hadn't taken off, so we all used Facebook and. My um, my aunt at the time had like brought it up and was like, oh, let's see a picture, let's see a picture. And my sister showed a picture of her and her, her really close friend who was a gay male. And um, like I'll just say, he, was a, he is a stud and really attractive guy. But that's not the point. That's, that's not the point at all. And that's what makes this really hurtful is the comment that my grandmother said was it is such a waste that he's gay those that was the sentence that was said now 16 years old and i had these understandings these inner realizations of myself and to hear somebody who is my blood say what a waste for somebody who is a stereotypically attractive man to be gay what a waste that is right and what she meant by that is the waste because 
you know, I actually I can't speak for it. I don't know what she meant, but from my understanding, it meant that he is unable to reproduce with a cis female and give the world beautiful babies. And in my mind, this man was beautiful and attractive because he was living his truth. It had really nothing to do with his physique or his hair. Um, but hearing that, I still, like I'm looking at my hand, I still get goosebumps. It has not gone away. That pain has not gone away. And since the age of 16, I put up a hard boundary with certain relatives because of the emotions that I still felt from that Christmas of, of unwrapping presents. Um, and it's a shame. It really is a shame that I had to put up boundaries because part of me feels like people who have those views are the ones that need to be reached out to more. But again, it's kind of, you hear marginalized groups say this, but it's really tiring to keep trying to educate and reach people who are sheltered and uneducated around these topics. Um, so yeah, that that was yet another moment where Christmas kind of lost its magic because I always believed that magic was real and Christmas made and the holiday season made magic come to life and nobody can be mean or harmful when there's magic present. But that's not the reality, you know? Um, so all these things started adding up. And, you know, it. I'm going to go back to my dead name of Chelsea. And I never resonated with that name. It wasn't until my junior year of high school, I had a classmate who is queer herself, and she's wonderful. She actually came out in our senior year of high school, not super publicly, but had a girlfriend and I always um, was jealous of, of that. I knew my sexual orientation but waited until college only because I did not feel safe in my town to be out. Um, and I was so jealous and just proud and looked up to this young girl. I mean, if you think about it, 17, like of living her truth. And so anyway, she came, she called me Seymour one time, like my, so the letter C for my dead name, and then shortened my last name of Morley to Moore. And that carried over to college. So even in college, nobody called me Chelsea. It was always Seymour. And the more that I stepped away from my dead name, the more I realized, like, holy shit, like this, it's bigger. Um, I would not necessarily like when people called me Chelsea, but I wasn't at a point where I'd call people out for it. I never stood up or advocated for that feeling because, again, I did not want to confirm that my gender didn't align with my sexual orientation. It took me 25 to 26 years for me to accept that, even though I have known since I was a child. So again, I'm going to say part of this podcast is to be that voice of validation to whoever needs to hear it and be a point of reference um, that it's okay and your feelings are seen and respected. So once I was in college and like came back for the holidays, you're now being called like by your parents by a name that nobody else calls you by. <laughs> so my parents would like call me Chelsea and I'd just go along with it. But um, 
it made when you think about the holiday season you also think about like how many cards you have to send how many cards you get how many times you sign presents and when you see a name that doesn't align with you over and over again and you see pronouns that don't align with you over and over again and you get cards that say like what a beautiful granddaughter i'm so glad that you're my niece um sister daughter etc it pushes you down further and being like oh my god this is such an overwhelming obstacle to overcome like this is now 20 plus years of my family knowing me as a female these cards are showing this in my face that they all believe this to be true i should somehow believe this to be true because it's a lot more work to have to come out and live my truth than it is to just go along with it granted i would have been quite miserable and if we want to talk about that a little bit too it's like depression and anxiety for um queer people specifically trans folks is real you know like there's a study the trevor project puts out um or a mental illness, and 40% of trans adults have stated that they have attempted suicide at least once in their life, you know? So that is just another time when I was like, holidays were really hard. So this is my first um, Christmas being Kai and using he, him pronouns. And I've never felt more safe. I've never felt more aligned. I've never felt more confident. And to me, it's like whole, like, this is, this is what people live like. This is, this is what I've been missing. Like, what? And for those who don't know what that's like, and maybe have never been part of any sort of marginalized group, so maybe you're white, straight, and cis. And yes, you've had obstacles in your life. But your, your obstacle is never, it's just not the same. I'm not saying that your obstacles are more or less than. They just can't, can't really be recreated and there can't be really any comparisons. Um, but it's really hard. It's really, really hard. Um, and so this will be my first Christmas in um, using Kai and my parents and family members have, I came out to them in, March, February or March of last year, and they've they've been great. Um, and yes, people are going to slip up, and I want to bring that up too. Like I never enter my relatives or uh, family or friends' house who I haven't seen in a while and expect them to be perfect. Nobody is going to be perfect. So let's um, also talk about the stress of being both an ally and a queer person with uh, when somebody changes a pronoun or name. So from my experience and my perspective is normal and anticipated for people to slip. And it's all about how we recover from that slip that is kind of a make or break thing. So um, sometimes my, my mom might say she or girl to me, and that's okay. As, as long as it's kind of dropped right then and quickly changed. Um, even if somebody like my father called me Chels, that's okay. Like you've known me as this for 26 years. I understand it to be really difficult. Um, and that's not to say they're dismissed from being held accountable, but it's just changing it the next time or saying quickly like, oh, sorry, I meant Kai, right? 
what is not helpful is when it's then made about them, right? So say somebody said, called me, she, her, and was like, oh, I'm so, so sorry. Like, please forgive me. This has been really difficult and a challenging time. Now it makes me feel like I owe them an explanation or I have to consult them. And that's not what it's about. Um, it's it's well-intentioned because you want the person to know that you are sincerely sorry, but it's not necessarily best practice. So you can say sorry and just the best way that you can show visibility and be like, no, I see and love you is just make a change on the spot. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for this holiday season. I really am. I feel a lot of love. I feel immense love. And even though I'll be candid, I've lost and shifted away from a lot of loved ones, a lot of family members, and a lot of friends this past year, a lot. I am so thankful for anybody who's crossed my path, um, anybody who's still in my life today. I'm so thankful for everything that I've been given from, that I've learned from, and that I've experienced. And I just feel this immense privilege being able to use my voice. I feel excitement and I'm, I'm again starting to feel holiday magic, even in the middle of a pandemic, even with the worst four years of a presidency, even with the amount of racism that is really at the forefront, um, an issue that needs to be discussed further. I still feel a lot of magic in the air and that really is because I, for the first time, love myself. I love myself enough to know who I want in my life, who I don't want in my life, and I have the freedom to make that happen. And it's really powerful when you get there. Um, and I hope that you all can, maybe, you know, I don't wanna, maybe you're, maybe you're there, maybe you're listening, you're like, oh yeah, no, I'm there, and I'm so glad that Kai's there too. Like. Yes, um, I'm here with you. And if you're not there yet, please don't give up. You know, um, it wasn't until I let go of the fear of other people's expectations that they placed on me that I felt free to be myself. And know that everybody is coming from good intentions and well-mannered places, but not everybody's opinions hold weight or value of who you are or your worthiness of love. So know that I love you, whoever's listening, I love you. I see you, I appreciate you. And let's foster any holiday magic we can. Let's create safe, inclusive spaces. Let's allow our family members and friends to experiment with whoever they want to be, with whoever they want to love. Let them do with their bodies, whatever they want, without judgment. Um, we're coming up to the end of the segment. So this would be a time where I'd be like, hey, guest, you're going to play a game of we're not really strangers. And I'm going to ask you this question. But um, instead, it's just me and my ginger gingerbread latte playing here. Um, welcome to a pandemic with a 27 year old. All right, let me pick up a card. First card reads and I can't do it. Create a secret handshake. That would be too silly. Um, 
Let's pick up another one. Oh, man, this is a good one. The question is, what are you still trying to prove to yourself? Um, I am still trying to prove to myself that my thoughts, my skills, and my expertise are worthy to share with the world. I'm not going to lie. Every time I do a podcast, every time I do a post on social media, I get quite anxious. And this is seen by me posting something and then disappearing for a solid anywhere from 30 minutes to four hours. Like I get really anxious about people judging me in, um, because who am I to want to do this? But I'm going to come back to the idea of I am worthy, right? And I'm just still trying to prove to myself that I'm worthy of so many things. And whether that be love, whether I, I'm trying to prove to myself that I'm worthy of love and appreciation, I'm also trying to prove to myself that I am worthy of success. And I'm worthy of sharing my truth with the world and that it does hold validity and it does hold value to others. So thank you for sitting in for about 50 minutes of this podcast where I talk about the holidays and different stressors that I've experienced and holiday magic. And I wish nothing but the best for all of you. And again, thank you for taking any moment of your day to give this a listen. Be safe and be an ally. Take care.